0: Yeah, I think if that's the case, it's not a huge problem because when I edit, I can take your channel off. Argument. And as long as it's not bleeding over into ours, it's going to be fine.
1: I really don't like bleeding into others, <laughs> Ted. It's kind of a practice. It's kind of a commitment that I have. This
0: poor judge, the way you all are going, he's probably got things to do. And he's going to bail on us before we even record. <laughs> he would never. He I would respect
2: never. your time, Judge. He <laughs> yeah, would never.
1: professional Ted. He would never
2: bail. Okay, all right. Are you ready now for me to kick it off? I was about to. Yes, ma'am. Okay, here we go. Buckle up, everyone.
0: The hollow bunny. And we all feel hollow sometimes.
2: Greetings and salutations, and welcome to the Hollow Bunny Leadership Podcast. I am Kristen Zeeman and I am here with my stunning co-host Sylvia Moyer. We are both former police chiefs, but this podcast is not just for cops. It is for anyone who is interested in talking about life and leadership, particularly the lessons that we have learned about both. So today I have the privilege of introducing who is filling our bunny today. His name is Judge Paul Herbert, and I will say, Sylvia, you teed me up a little bit because... um, You know, as I everyone knows, I moved here from Illinois, didn't know anyone here, and like most budding beautiful relationships. Uh, We met on the pickleball court. Um, Oh, come on! (laughs) There's a whole backstory there, Judge. That so, still, 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 and pickleball—they're not. They're. It's kind of like this, but uh, we met on the pickleball court. And the cool part about you know just being in a new place is you get to know people. And that encounter brought us to dinner with uh, Judge Paul Herbert and his beautiful wife Barb, who is also very established in her own right. I call her Esquire. Uh, he is a graduate of Ohio State University and Capitol University Law School. And after a brief time in private general practice, he joined the staff of Franklin County Prosecutor's Office and served as a trial attorney. And then he assumed the role of clerk of the Franklin County Municipal Court, where he spent the next seven years before being elected to judge in 2003, and he was then re-elected to that position in 2009 and again in 2015. So, Judge, welcome to the Hollow Bunny Bot Podcast.
3: Thank you very much. Welcome. I've never played pickleball in my entire life. <laughs> Oh, the lies! I don't
1: know. You look awfully bronzed
3: (laughs) and fit. Oh, the
1: lies!
2: The lies. (laughs) See, still, it's pickle. Good things happen in pickleball. Not, it's not all terrible. It's good. It's good. I agree. Okay. Okay. So, judge, this is why I wanted to have you on because. Uh we've had so many conversations about um, our careers and you are, of course, you've now stepped away from the bench and are now enjoying retirement, but you did a lot of stuff during your career. So first of all, let me ask you, did you always have aspirations to move to the bench, you know, or was there a pivotal point in your career where you decided, man, I want to, you know, I want to transcend to the bench from being an attorney. What was that thought process?
3: I actually uh, come from sort of a family of lawyers and judges, and I decided I was going to become a doctor until I flunked out of math and chemistry, and then uh, I figured I better follow in the family footsteps. So uh, that's when I just I went to law school and did well and graduated and got into politics, and the you know the rest is history.
2: No kidding. So here's what I really want to focus on is the time when you were sitting on the bench. Um, as, as we got to talking, and this is why, you know, it's always so interesting listening to people's backgrounds and, um, their, their lifelong experience. But the thing I really want to hone in here is that, uh, while you were judge, you proposed a specialized program focusing on human trafficking victims. And I know that has become your passion and your lifelong work. And this is a big topic of conversation. It always has been, but it's been brought to the forefront by, um, I know, you know, movie about sexual, uh, about human trafficking. Um, and as we know, and especially being in law enforcement, we're very familiar with it, but not everyone is because it's one of those things where you can kind of wear blinders and go about your life. But, you know, human trafficking can happen to anyone, but we know that people are more vulnerable than others. Um, But tell us how you got interested in this particular, you know, topic and, and how it transcended and how you then launched this particular program.
3: Well, now you're right. We do have a lot of media coverage. It's uh the big topic now, but back in 2007, uh, you know, the only, uh, really relationship we had, there wasn't even a law against human trafficking back then, if you can believe that. So, um, I was sitting in a very busy arraignment court and every time I was in arraignment court, the same women seemed to come through. It was the revolving door crime was pro- prostitution and no one ever seemed to be able to do anything about it we labeled it the world's oldest profession you know movies like pretty woman were out there and we all just figured well it was a, a choice that women make and might be a bad choice but um when i started kept seeing the same women come through months after month uh and they they did not look uh very happy they didn't look like julia roberts at all uh we started to ask some questions as to you know, how did you get here? You know, what happened to you? Rather than, you know, what's wrong with you? Mm. Uh, that starting to open the door to what the truth is behind um, this. And, it, and it's a very almost typical background of, of abuse and vulnerability, which uh, leads them into the hands of people that can take advantage of them uh, when they're young and groom them, if you will, for uh, manipulation and love and things like that that they don't understand uh and then you know uh, get them hooked on drugs and then make them make them uh perform all sorts of crimes it's not just sex it's all sorts of crimes which we can get into later but uh we we broadened this out and you know they're having to go down to the with a check you know check cashing you know it's, uh, check uh, kiting and things like that so We started to learn about this and I started to say, well, how come nobody else is talking about this? How come nobody else knows this? And we just started a program and we listened, did a lot of listening and found out that this is a common scenario for women all across the entire globe, not just, was it just in Ohio? And so we were able to, to work hard to get something done. Very proud of that. Man.
2: You said that the results have been absolutely miraculous. And I know that you and I have talked about some of of these individuals who have come through your court and who have uh, managed to, they're survivors, they've managed to turn their lives around and escape that hold from their abuser. You know, talk to us about some of your best success stories.
3: Well, it's, it's um, something that, that is amazing to see a person who is having no parenting skills at all, they're a drug addict, they're a single mom, uh, and they're a prostitute, you you would think they have no chance in America, right? Um, But as it turns out, these folks are extremely bright. They're very motivated. They want to be good mothers. They want to be reunited with their communities. Um, And so we have... uh, yeah, women I just wrote a letter of recommendation to the nursing board. One of the women is, is just become the registered nurse. So you go from, you know, drug addict, uh, human trafficking victim, uh, to registered nurse. Uh wow. we also have uh, they're buying houses, cars, um, eyed with their families. Um it, it's really amazing.
1: Wow, I, I have to ask you, there's there's a tendency for folks to just process people like output, right? Judge, what was it that made you dive in and begin asking different questions and then to take different kinds of actions as a ro- result of what you discovered?
3: Well, I had a lot of people around me when I started asking these questions that were very bright and uh, they gave me books and literature that I started reading and literally when i saw saw that the world had it all wrong i felt that boy what if a middle-aged white man stood up for women and started talking about how important they are and how great they could become and yeah. uh, you know uh what's that that christoph book um uh, half the sky it's the greatest oh, okay. book i've ever read half mm-hmm. the sky because the the chauvinistic men of the of this tribe uh and this sylvia this is the actual point when i decided to turn this around the men of this chauvinistic society which most of them are uh went up to the wise man on top of the mountain and Said, what, we, what do we what should we do about all these women in our village they want to have they want us you know have rights and they want to be able to speak at meetings and they want to be able to vote all this other stuff and the old guy looked up and said well i believe that women hold up half the sky and wow. that's really cool that's a really mm-hmm. cool thing, uh, and it, it turns out it's true. You all should read that book, um, and and so we we tried, and you know, we got funding, and you know, we started, and the results were amazing, and women graduating and becoming leaders, and they actually have formed their own community in Columbus as well. So it's really cool.
2: Oh my God, that's remarkable. So you touched on something there is that, you know, people look at some of the victims of of these traffickers and they think, well, these are choices. They're prostitutes, they're, this is a victimless crime because they chose this. So tell us about the significant risk factors. What makes a person vulnerable to human trafficking?
3: That's a great question. Thanks for asking that because I believe that could be the most important one for your listeners. Um, I once did a, a discussion at an at when i was training fbi agents and i needed a catchy title uh to try to get people interested and i said if your child doesn't have a cell phone you can skip this class (laughs) everybody's child has a cell phone right
1: that's Mm -hmm. catchy judge Mm -hmm. so
3: um the kids are out there and they're young and there's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of unprotected chat lames and things that you and I probably don't aren't aware of, and these guys are out there uh, trying to find out who's vulnerable. Uh, so the the push factors for these kids are um, just mom gets a divorce, has new boyfriend, uh, loves the new boyfriend, new boyfriend starts sneaking in. To her room in the middle of the night changing her clothes or touching her or whatever you want to put it, but abusing her, um, she reaches out to mom and says, hey, mom, this bad stuff's happening with new boyfriend. Mom goes to the new boyfriend, confronts him, he says, I don't know what's wrong with her. She's got a daddy issue or whatever it is. Mom doesn't believe the girl nine times out of 10, so nothing happens to the guy, and the abuse continues. And she runs away from home. Uh, the, the, the saying out there is boys run away because we're stupid, but girls are running away from something when they run away from home. And so they run away, they're out there, they're vulnerable, they don't know where to go, what to do. So they, they couch surf for a while, and then they, they get in with some bad friends that they go to a party, and there's a guy there that can recognize her as vulnerable. Or she's on her phone and a guy wants to meet her, come to this party. Do you want to be a model? You're so pretty. I, you know, I think I'm really attracted to you. Um, this this grooming then starts. So problems at the home lead to runaway, lead to vulnerability on the cell phone and chat rooms. Um, and then then these guys work their way in, get them to fall in love with them, uh, and then you know, then it's over. <clears throat>
2: And so these aren't just the, these are, and this is another, I think, um, maybe a, you know, a misnomer about who the traffickers are. It's like, we think that this is, you know, the pimp from the back alley. And as it turns out that perpetrators of human trafficking, uh, they, they span all racial, ethnic, gender demographics and are as diverse as the survivors. Say more about that, especially the ones that use privilege and wealth and power as a means to control.
3: Yeah, I, they are. Um, they're just, there are people that want to get rich off of selling another human being. That's that's one of the, you know, the corners of all our history. Um, and so they're finding their slaves or their victims uh, any way they can. And so that's going to attract anyone, uh, any race, any sex, women traffickers, men traffickers, uh, foreign, domestic. Ah, uh, you name it. And uh, I really did not spend my career studying the traffickers. Uh, that was uh, we were more in the victim side uh, rather than than that. And so we would basically, you know, if testifying was part of a woman's journey to get free, then we uh, supported her uh, during her journey through the court system. Uh, in order to put that guy away for as many years as he, they possibly could, um, so that was kind of my—I never became like a trafficker expert, if you will. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and you know, I do—I do want to kind of pull on this thread, Judge. Uh, we have learned, I have learned, and I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot about the pathway to human trafficking, about the victim. What are some of the indicators? You have enlightened us to uh, this is uh, really a crime about money and profit. Uh, I'd like to explore this piece that says, maybe uncomfortably, says something about you and your leadership. And this, the nobility of the profession you were in, using the seat that you were in to really amplify the message, to shine a light that if you weren't a judge of such high esteem, what would potentially have occurred. So can you kind of explore that with us a little bit?
3: I I actually underestimated it, but it turned out to be the greatest benefit, Sylvia. You hit the you hit the nail right on the head. Uh because you know what? Uh people will answer when a judge calls you and wants to sit down and meet with you. You and bet. I, I was a I was the lowest level judge on the face of the earth, but you know, I'd like called the president of Ohio State University. Next thing you know I'm meeting with him. I I went uh, literally, and I what I don't know, it was this passion that I had to bring this uh, to the fore. And so it really helped out, uh, you know, meet with the mayor of the city of Columbus, boom, yeah. I'm sitting down next to him and the, and the city attorney, the prosecutor, the sheriff, we're all sitting there together and I'm putting all this out. So we are able to use that position to significantly move the needle in Ohio and maybe across the country Uh, and, and it was, it was awesome. So yeah, Sylvia, that was, that's great.
1: Yeah. We talk about this a lot that Kristen and I, you know, we've been police chiefs, right? And so we talk about amplifying the message to use the office to gain access to table, to have a seat at a table for which we wouldn't have a seat. Otherwise, And we say, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. So we use that office to get a seat at the table to then have a different conversation to perhaps scaffold individuals or to shine a light on a different path. What, what do you say to people that are listening that are like, huh, I can use my office, my title for something bigger than what I originally intended or imagined. What do you say to those folks?
3: Do it. I mean, absolutely. You've got that position for a reason. Um, I, you just reminded me I had a, a meeting with the Chief of Police for the city of Columbus and I didn't think I was going to be able to get in and see him because he was a super busy dude and I yeah. was just a low level judge. I wrote him a letter and we needed we have a, a human trafficking task force in Ohio and I w- I wanted Columbus, Ohio to have the most numbering members of that task force because we had the most amount of trafficking going on in our in our uh, you know uh, city. And so I I, he, I made the request. Next thing you know, I'm in this incredible building, downtown Columbus. Like it took my breath away. They gave me a they actually gave me a parking spot in the police building. It was what? And I, you know, and I walked up to the guy and I said, you know, my generation might have been the one that brought this to the attention of of people, but your generation has to be the one that's gonna do something about it. And, you know, we, we talked about this. I said, you know, you got 49 detectives on your auto, auto theft squad. You got two guys, that, you know, in the entire city of Columbus working human trafficking cases. Come on. And wow. so we were able to build up that task force to uh, a robust number. And then that led to uh, much more sophisticated investigations, RICO charges, guns, drugs. You know, it's all tied together. Guns, drugs, sex it's all tied all tied together. So the human trafficking guys got to work with the the drug drug people and the guns. It was great. It was awesome. You know, and I'm like, look, you got these drug guys breaking down doors in mm-hmm. hotel rooms and they go in and there's all these guns and drugs and you've got 315-year-old girls sitting on a bed <laughs> with 100 dollar bills. What's the plan, fellas? You're losing out on the most important part of your investigation. So Human I'm beings. Sorry, I'm, getting, I'm getting amped up now.
1: We want you fired up judge. And it cracks me up that you're saying I was just a low level judge. Right. That it's, is like, he, what, what? it's so humble, what? isn't
2: he? This is why I fell in love with him. He's just amazing. Oh, right.
1: Yeah. Right. Mm. Right. And it's interesting because there's a message there to people that think, well, I'm just a police chief in a small agency in Iowa. It's like, come on, use that office. For access or I'm not a major city chief. I'm a just a mid-sized city chief. There's, It's just so jarring to me to hear you say that both from a human perspective, just a judge, which is we kiss the ring. Um, but it's also, I think, a message to folks to not diminish based on where you sit in the judge hierarchy, the doctor hierarchy, the police chief hierarchy or whatever.
2: If I may, though, let, let's even expand that ripple effect to, you know, that's uh, people who can use their office. Absolutely. But let's talk about people who say, that's great, but what can I do, right? And this is what they often ask me about mass shootings, is what What am I supposed to do? How can I thwart the next mass shooting? And the answer is by being very observant, by listening to your surroundings. And we have found that those who report things, even when they're not sure, and what stops people from reporting them, even though they're Spidey senses uh, start tingling. What stops people from reporting is because they think, "Oh gosh, what if I'm wrong?" Or, "Ooh, I don't want to get that person in trouble." And I would say and judge. I mean, help me out here. But wouldn't the same be true when you are looking at someone who could potentially be a victim of trafficking? Where you're you're, you're you, you see someone with you know an older person or someone who looks as though they're afraid. So, what are some signs that just All of us every day as we move about the world can observe and then report.
3: Yes. So thank you. That's a brilliant, brilliant point because uh, we started branching out from the police. Let's just say you're a school teacher and you've got, you know, a middle school girl that comes in and she was sitting in the front row looking all nice and raising her hand. And she comes in after summer break and she's sitting in the back of the class with her head down and you're giving her detention is because her grades are slipping. Rather than giving her a detention, why don't you gain her trust and start asking questions as to why her behavior has changed. Um, If you're a pediatrician, um, if you're working, if you're a nurse in a hospital, these are all folks we reached out to, you see a girl come in with an older man who doesn't want to let her out of his sight, right? Uh, Or the telltale sign of all is branding tattoos she gets a tattoo on the side of her neck here and it doesn't look like you know a little star or a peach or something like that it says king or 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 you know i love steve or whatever you know whatever it's a weird tattoo and uh, you know i've even asked you know women hey you know how'd you get that tattoo and they're like oh you know it's my boyfriend no it's their trafficker so these guys put these brands on them we even had a, a a woman come through the program where her trafficker put the brand uh, property of Salem right above her private parts uh so you know that it's it's it can get as ugly as you want to go but almost anybody out there you're in church you're you know you're a church member you're a na- in the neighborhood and you see behavior changing like you say she's got an older boyfriend she's 16 and her boyfriend's 23 that's, look, that's feeling a little weird, isn't it, Kristen? That's kind of your spidey, that's your spidey sense going off. He's 23. She's 16. Come on, what's going on? Maybe mom and dad have to just divorced. Or, you know, start adding these facts up. And then, obviously, signs of drug abuse or physical abuse, um, they start to become emaciated. They're traveling a lot the farther they go along. So almost anyone can recognize this. And you can go out on the World Wide Web... And uh, thanks, Al Gore. And you can, <laughs> you, can, you can look up the signs <sighs> of what human trafficking victim looks like. And, and they've got a lot of great stuff out there.
1: You know, I, I recently saw something that was generated by the, apparently by the Canadian Women's Foundation that is designed to be discreet and silent. But it is a one hand signal for distress and it's it bears kind of having a conversation about this. And those folks that are watching on YouTube can see it, but I'll describe it. It's a one-hand signal for distress where you face your palm forward, tuck your thumb in, and then close your fingers over your thumb. And it was new to me in preparation this weekend for... Really sitting with you, Judge, in this incredible work you've done for which you've received not only the effects of watching people transform their lives, being firsthand witness to it, amplifying the the necessity with your office and being a judge. You received an, several awards for your courage and your work in this space. Besides all that, I wanted to learn more. And what I discovered was this hand signal. And then I saw out on your World Wide Web, Judge, uh, I saw this actually some footage seeing this. So it is a one hand signal of wrap the thumb in and put the fingers over the thumb. And I watched some videos that showed other people seeing that, recognizing it as a silent uh, distress signal and intervening on behalf of women and then separating the, the um, male in the cases that I saw from the woman that gave that distress signal. What do you say about this kind of consciousness? And I'd love you to tie this into what Kristen's saying. What can individuals do?
3: You know, I, that's, this is the first I'm hearing about the hand signal. I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, And if this is the first I'm hearing about it, then I think we probably need more awareness, even though. It hasn't gotten
1: to Florida yet. It takes a minute.
2: Wait, isn't it, didn't you say, see Canadians, are they, are they always start everything that's good. It's, it's a Canadian. Hockey. Hockey. Maple syrup. Hockey. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But carry on. No, okay. I, I have not heard about that either, at least in mainstream.
1: Right. And I think there's the Canadian Women's Foundation is really saying, look, there are, I, I've been on a plane. Kristen's on planes all the time. I go into the restroom and on the back of the door is, are you in distress? Here's a number to call, text, or alert your flight attendant. There's also that non-verbal one-hand signal. And I think what you started, I'm going to give you attribution, what you and other courageous folks have started is a consciousness around the issue. Right? And Kristen speaks to this a lot. What can one person do to mitigate a uh, uh, an active shooter? What can one person do to intervene when a woman is in distress? It's really, really compelling.
3: Yeah. That's a, that's a really difficult question. Um, especially in our society, um, when you're not sure what's going on, you want to be a good Samaritan. Um, but this trafficker is going to have a lot of things in place that are going to try to thwart you from, from, like, in other words, She's got pat answers when the police come and talk to her. She's he's already coached her on how to talk to the police, so the, and it's you know, police listen, they engage, they interview, and then they they let her go back with them. You know, so it's it's a very difficult question.
2: Yeah, that's what makes this so difficult to uncover because, and, and I think that's where, where people get frustrated and where it's also, you know, become, uh, where it's, well, if they don't want to help themselves when that's not the right. case at all. And people w- would think that, well, you had an opportunity to, to tell and you didn't take it. But then, I, you know, I worked five years as a domestic violence detective. So I know the psychology behind the victim of domestic abuse, looking at me, a police officer and saying, I'm fine, he didn't do anything to me when I can see the evidence of that happening because they're not, that right there in that moment, for you and I, we might think, here's your opportunity. They're saving themselves from the next beating, from the next abuse, because eventually, you know, that person may get out of jail or they may find themselves back with them. And then they use that, well, you, you told on me. So I, I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. And it makes it so difficult to uncover and to prosecute, which is why this is one of the most complex problems that we have facing our society present day.
3: Yeah, I mean, you touched another great point, that, that um, synergy, that the power and control in domestic violence is the same as it is in sex trafficking. Um, so you got to somehow get to the people that can listen. You know, same nurses, the sexual assault nurses, they used to get uh, these women in who were raped and who finally got the courage to report a rape. And I can't tell you how many of them have guilty complexes now because they treated them like dirt and never got even got the evidence because of what you're saying. So you, know, you get a same nurse, you get um, all, all those folks that can, can somehow be a part of that. But you're right, Kristen, they, they don't trust the police. <laughs> they've, they've been burned before, you know, and they're trying to survive. So um, it's all about awareness, and I think having resources available that are real and that are that it can significantly help them because they may have a couple little kids and need a roof over their head and don't know where to turn so i think you hit the nail on the head kristen i'm the chief
2: ma'am thank thank you your honor thank you well listen go ahead Phil. go ahead
1: so i was going to ask you Yeah, it's tough work no doubt being a judge and and doing the work that that you would you say filled your bunny? I mean, you know, I'm guessing the the hollow bunny story. It's kind of that empty suit, that person that looks shiny and but doesn't have much substance. We've all seen them. We may have worked with them or for them. What fills your bunny to keep you courageous and keep you on this leadership path?
3: It was a lot of research, and uh, I had people around me that were brilliant, uh, a group of women who uh, I tell you what, when I learned to listen to them and didn't try to run the show myself, we did, for your leaders out there, one of the best thing we did was we went through leadership classes where they found out what kind of leader you are. It's kind of like a Myers-Briggs, for, and that was part of it. But once I learned that my leadership style was driving them crazy, um, I didn't realize that I was, I was uh, I have a vision. I have an act for an act for vision. I can see things as they are ten years from now, but you want me to go through and execute that? I'm like hell no, because I'm already on the next. I'm already on the next thing. So I have this weird thing that I would go in re office and I would say, "Hey, you guys, what do you think about this?" Because this is why you know this is where I think this could be if we you know started this in middle schools. You know, and my staff was like, "Oh my god, you know, Judge, right?" that's a really good idea, judge, but we're like seven steps behind you now. So, but they were afraid to talk to me. So the, one of the best things I did is we went to a leadership conference and the dude that led it was awesome. And he, you know, he affirmed my, my gift as a visionary, but he really sat down and said, bro, you, you need to slow, slow down and have a way to communicate to your people that they can handle. And that, that's, I, I saw that on your list of questions, and I wanted to throw that out there because, um, you know, you may be a different style, and, and you need to know what different style of people that you're working with. Are they the executors? They're, they're your best friends. They're strapping on the guns and going to war for you, you know? Um, are they the guy in the room that's going, dude, this, this could work? Oh, and you got to have them, too. You got to have them all. So I don't know about the if that fills anybody's bunny, but that's my story.
2: No, I love that. That's brilliant because you're so right. You've got the visionary among us and then those who are very detail oriented and it all really does fit into the great mosaic of leadership. And, you know, there's not one right answer. And I think that especially on this podcast, we spend a lot of time talking about how to become better leaders, what we recognize as as great leaders, and then those that we don't want to emulate. And I think just that acknowledgement of what kind of leader you are and then who you lean on to get the job done um you know is all part of of filling that bunny so no that was a great answer so listen judge we we won't keep you uh, uh all day although i would absolutely love to but I love um, it yeah i would i would absolutely and love it Here. judge
1: this this dude and bro was such easy
2: <laughs> <laughs> judge Paul Paul Herbert you are an amazing man and one of the things that you said that i i really just want to um reiterate and make sure that people hear that again is often in life we uh, we say what's wrong with you versus what happened to you and that just asking what's wrong with you makes us judge a, a person um because we we truly um we just don't understand. And that's where it comes comes down to is genuine understanding and curiosity uh, about another human being. And you mentioned we didn't even touch on the drug abuse and what what you have seen in some of these victims going from those who have been honestly forced to become, you know, to take drugs and then become addicts. And then, you know, that's a whole other conversation, but it but it's part of it. And so I, I just want to thank you for your life's work. And, you know, as you know, I absolutely adore you as as a human as a friend. And then what I learned, what you've done, you know, throughout your career is absolutely remarkable. And I just wanted to share it with the world. So thank you so much for coming on the hollow bunny podcast. We appreciate you.
3: Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me.
2: Thank you, judge. Thank you. Well, everybody, Uh, I want to thank all of our Hollow Bunny podcast listeners, our little bunnies, and I want you all to know that Ted Madden produces this podcast, and the song you are about to hear was written and performed exclusively for this podcast by my very talented son, Jake Zeman, and his friends, Fabian and Zoe. If you like our podcast, please subscribe, like, review, and tell everyone you know about it. If you don't like it, move along. There's nothing more to see here, and keep filling your own bunnies with substance and please continue to add substance to others. Bye everybody.
1: Bye-bye.
0: the hollow buddy